0: We're going to be in Genesis 4. I'm going to read the first eight verses of Genesis 4 to get us going. If you'd like to follow along with me, it's uh, probably the third page in your Bible if you haven't found it yet. Genesis 4.1. Now the man, meaning Adam, had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said... I have gotten a man, child, the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a teller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, God had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll look at this. Father, I pray that you would uh, take this story which is probably familiar to most most of us and that you would um, make it come alive and that you would really help us to see the truths in this text, in this passage that you want us to see this morning. Uh, Father, we just, we want to know you. We want to know you better. And so we pray that you would bring that about through this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have all put our hope in someone or something, whoa, (laughs) hold on to your chairs, people. (laughs) We'll wait. That makes it really hard for me to hear. That is my only, I'm deaf in this ear with a virus I got about a week and a half ago. So maybe you could aim at that direction or something because I can't even hear now. Um, Sorry. (laughs) I feel like I'm talking in a barrel. Um, If you can, let's try it. (laughs) Um, Okay, we'll try again here. Um, All of us have been... Put our hope right in something—a um, get-rich-quick scheme. How many of us have tried that? You know those things on the internet. Come on. Am I the only one that's okay? A bunch of us. You know, it's like it's on. You know, every time I open up Google, it's you know, it's that, that lady right there that makes seventy-four dollars an hour. You know, it's, every time I open it, it's there. Thankfully, I'm not a lady, so I'm not tempted. But somehow, I got emailed last week another opportunity from somebody that I, I knew maybe 20 years ago. And um, they were emailing all their friends. And I guess I still qualified as a friend, even though we hadn't seen each other in 20 years. Uh, another get-rich-quick scheme. And I got to confess that I saved it. And I looked at it a couple times. <laughs> I was tempted, you know. It's very tempting. Like oh, this could be the answer, you know. We could, you know, to starting the coffee oasis in Spain, you know. It's, um, but thankfully, after a couple of days of <laughs> not talking to my wife about it, <laughs> I I I trashed it. Okay, I didn't I didn't go for it. Um, but it's easy to put our hope in things like that, isn't it? Um, Maybe you're not grabbed by get-rich-quick schemes. Maybe for you it's a new diet. Or a new workout. Or it's a new job. Maybe something that's going to make things better and bring you hope. Um, For a lot of people, it's the latest book that's come out, right? It's like... It's, it's a bestseller, and everybody else is reading it, so it must have the answers to life or a conference or a seminar or the latest thing. Probably for all of us at one time or another, it was a guy or a gal. Like, oh, this is going to bring me hope, right, and life. And all of us, have had that experience in trying those things to where eventually we found out that they weren't cracked up to be what we thought they would be. And it was just another it was another fix, it was another it was another thing that we put our hope in, but it wasn't something that could really offer us hope. It really it's amazing. I mean I, I'm amazed at how easily I I'm attracted by things like that, like, oh, man. Uh, and, and the Bible calls them broken cisterns. <laughs> In Jeremiah 2, I mean, God laments. He said, my people, they, they've, they've done two evils. They've, they've abandoned me, <laughs> this well, this stream, this flowing river of living water for broken cisterns. And... As we come to Genesis 4 this morning, I I think we get a great example of this. It's it's a great example, and it's a good reminder to us to not run after these kind of things, but to keep our eyes fixed on the one who alone can really give us hope and life. So if you'd you'd look at Genesis 4 with me, I, I actually liked it. I'd like you to turn your attention to the verse just before, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. How Genesis 3 ends, it almost seems hopeless. Adam and Eve have sinned, and, and God has punished them. In verse 24, we see, So God drove them, Adam and Eve, out of the garden. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim, and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And if you see that verse in light of how God made them in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in his image and in his likeness, and to, to hang out with him and to know him and to, and to love him and build a relationship with him, this has got to be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Where here they are, they're kicked out of that that paradise, Eden, and there's this flaming sword keeping them from coming back. Now, if you remember, um, there's some hope in Genesis chapter three. In Genesis three fifteen, there's there's a seed that has been promised, right? The one who is going to come and crush the head of the serpent who tempted them. And then again in in chapter 3, verse 21, there's hope that has been provided through the sacrifice of an animal that provided covering for them in their sin and provided the way for them to be back in relationship with God. But but what we don't know, and this is what I want us to get a feel for this morning as we begin in Genesis chapter 4 is the time that transpired between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. They've sinned. They've become separated from God. They've been cast out of Eden. And there's this gap of time. And we don't know how long it was. I tried to figure it out, looking at Genesis 5 and how old Adam was when Seth was born, 120 but you really can't figure it out. But we're, let's, let's guess five years, 10 years, 20 years. We don't know. But there's this gap of time. And I want you to feel what Adam and Eve had to feel during that time. I mean, it was absolute hopelessness. It had to be. As they had been cast out of the Garden of Eden, and there's this flaming sword keeping them from returning. And here they're out in the world And they're hopeless. Except for what? The promise. The promise of the seed who would come and deliver them by crushing the head of the serpent. And and as I read this again, I had to believe that this had to be an agonizingly long wait for Adam and Eve. I mean, mean, for for little kids, it's got to be kind of like... like Alicia. No, you're not a little kid. I was just kidding. <laughs> For young, young kids, younger than Alicia, okay, that are, they know that there's going to be a vacation in a week. I mean, how long does a week seem? <laughs> I mean, it seems like an eternity waiting to go on this vacation, waiting to go to Wild Ways, waiting to go to the, you know. It's kind of like <laughs> on, when our grandkids were over on Saturday and our daughter um was talking to our grandson, Titus, and she said, we're going to be going home pretty soon. And and uh, he said, two minutes? <laughs> and she said, no, probably an hour and a half. She said, two minutes? <laughs> I mean, he had, he had no con- concept. I mean, this, this had to be agonizing for Adam and Eve as they waited, and they waited, and, and they wondered, who would it be? You know, what would he look like? When would he come? How would he come? The seed, the promise, who would deliver them? And then we come to Genesis 1, and it says, Eve had relations with Adam, and she conceived. She became pregnant. She became pregnant. And when she, when she becomes pregnant and she gives birth, the wording is profound. For her, this has got to be the one. He's got to, this has got to be the seed. She says, I have gotten a man-child, the Lord. Now, I know some of your translations say, with the help of the Lord. I'm just telling you this. None of those words are in the original language. The only words in the original language are, I have given birth to a man, the Lord. That's that's what's there, and I think that and I think that's what she was thinking. She's thinking, this is the one. And whenever I say the one, it makes me think of the Matrix. But but this is better than the Matrix. This is the Messiah, the promised one of Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, the one who would crush the head of the serpent and deliver them, and bring them back into intimacy of relationship with God. And I'm sure she's convinced of it. He's the one. He's got to be. He's got to be the one. And now, after years of hopelessness, hope begins budding within their beings. Um, just for your information, this is a good time if if something like this happens to you. You know, kind of like me. You know, last week and that email from that friend of 20 years earlier with that offer of getting rich really fast. This is a good time to slow down. This has been a good time for Eve to slow down and, and to ask herself is this really the one? It's a good time to slow down when that person or that opportunity comes into your life to slow down and instead of rushing into it thinking this is the answer to my life, to slow down and say, God is this? God is this? It's interesting. Look at verse 1. As Eve conceived and gave birth to her firstborn, she called him Cain. and. In the margin of my Bible, it says gotten one. And literally, that's what Cain's name means. It means acquired one. And the idea and and how they named him was that he is this one given to them by God. He is the gift of God. He's the one. He's the one that is going to bring about their deliverance. And I think they're certain of it. Interesting, keep reading... Verse 2 it says she gave birth again to his brother Abel. Anybody have any any Hebrew scholars? Anybody have any idea what the name Abel means? Anybody know from the past? So yeah, say loud cuz I can't hear. <laughs> it's 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 amazing, but the name Abel is the name fool or vanity or empty. In Ecclesiastes where it says vanity, vanity that's this word put that together the firstborn Cain he's the one he's God's gift he's the answer and man, please don't do this if you haven't had kids yet and I tell you I've known families that this has happened where you know there's the special one and then there's the one that's you know just the one you know the mistake or or not really wanted or you know I mean and this is his name means literally empty vanity meaning I mean what's the point <laughs> I mean we got Cain we don't why, we don't need him and so. Abel was that unloved child. Cain was the one. Let's keep reading. Keep that in mind. I think it's really crucial as we move on, as these two brothers understand their identity. We come to verse 2. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought an offering of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, what I'd like us to do is just going through these verses really quickly, look at the difference that this made in these these young men's lives and their offerings and the result of those offerings. As we look at Cain's offering, first of all, what do we see? It's, we see that he brought what he, you know, what he grew, some... It says of the fruit of the ground, but I think we really understand it when we compare it to Abel's offering. Notice Abel's offering, it doesn't just say he brought some of his flock, but notice it says he brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And it's actually it's kind of a, this is a precursor to the, the sacrifices we, inst- we see instituted later. And what God required, when people wanted to bring something to him, they were to bring their best. The firstlings and the fat portions. And we see that's what Abel did, but that's not what Cain did. It's almost like Cain, on his way out the door, grabbed some fruit off the counter to offer the Lord. And Abel very carefully picked out his firstlings and their fat portions. What was special? The Lord's response? The Lord had no regard, meaning he didn't accept Cain's offering. But he had regard for Abel's offering, meaning he accepted Abel's offering. The question is why? Why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's offering? And keep your finger there. We're going to flip to Hebrews 11 really quick because it tells us why. Why? Uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 4, where it it tells us of this account here. In Hebrews 11:4, it says, "By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain." And that's the answer. That's why God accepted Abel's offering and He didn't accept Cain's is because Abel offered a better sacrifice. And why a better sacrifice? The answer is right there, is because Abel's was by faith. By faith, and Cain's wasn't. What does that mean? Well, I want you to go back to Genesis 4 and and maybe understanding the the names these two young men bore and how that impacted how they saw themselves. I think Cain saw that he was somebody. I mean he was the one, right? He was somebody, and he didn't see his need of the Lord or, or of the need to honor the Lord because he was the man. But Abel, on the other hand, keenly recognized his neediness. I mean, his, he, was, he wasn't even wanted. He recognized his neediness. He wasn't somebody. And so he recognized his need for dependence upon God. That's where the word faith comes in his need of dependence upon God, and and so he brought an offering that acknowledged God and his need of God and that honored God, whereas Cain didn't need to honor God. He didn't think. He was somebody. Well, we see Cain's pride in his response where it says he became angry and his countenance fell. I don't think most of us talk that way today. So I'm going to illustrate for you what it means, okay? This is what it means. You catch that? <laughs> That's it. You know, it's, that smile just fell and became a scowl. And he went from thinking he was somebody and he was all excited. And then when he saw God's... <laughs> estimation of him. His countenance fell and his smile turned to a scowl. Didn't God know that he was the one? Didn't God know who he was? What was God thinking? Accepting Abel's offering? He's, he's nothing. He's nobody. Look at me. God's response is interesting. Verse 7, God says, if you do well, will not your scowl be turned into a smile? If you do well, won't your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And God's response is, I think this if you do well is meaning if you acknowledge your pride, if you turn from it, and if you recognize your need of me, you recognize your dependence on me, you honor me, that I'm the one who is to be honored, not you. You're not the one, I'm the one. Otherwise, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. And and Cain's response is very, very clear. He grabs his brother Abel, they go out into the field, and he kills him. Seems like a, kind of a huge response to being unhappy about an, offering being rejected but it exposes Cain's heart he wasn't the one it exposes his heart he he refuses to humble himself and acknowledge that God is the one that God is the one to be honored that his hope and the hope of all of mankind was in God it wasn't in him so refusing to humble himself he kills his brother In verses 9 through 24, and we're we're not going to read through them. I'm sure you're thankful for that. Um, 9 through 24 gives us the horrible consequences. And just to summarize it, we see that Cain, Adam and Eve's hope is cursed by God. And his descendants, as you read through these verses from verses 9 through 24, expand upon his sinful ways and, and boast in their sinfulness, revel in their sinfulness, that their sinfulness is worse than Cain's sinfulness. And, and hope is crushed again. And, and we come to, to the end of chapter 4, and we, it's like we come to the end of chapter 3. Hope is crushed again again. Because they put their hope in the wrong person. So the question, as we come to the end of chapter 4, is what now? And that's where verses, turn to 25 and 26, as we come to the end of the chapter. And and there are wonderful verses. In, In 24, I mean, excuse me, 25, it says, Adam had relations with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring. The word is seed in place of Abel for Cain killed him. I want you to know, first of all, what's interesting is how her thinking has changed as she's seen the curse that Cain has. It's it's turned to Abel. You You notice the wording there? That God has given me another offspring in place of Abel. She could have said in place of Cain, but she didn't. She said in place of Abel. And so the first thing we see in 25 is that God, despite our sinfulness, God remains faithful to his promise. Man, we, we, we have to be glad about that, huh? Despite our sinfulness, God remains faithful and he He provides another offspring, another seed, that through this descendant, the seed promised in 315 would come. And the result in verse 26 is is clear to Seth. To him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. They hope again. They hope again. Now there's four things I just want to summarize quickly about this passage and 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 encouraging and reminding us how to truly hope. The first is that sin is insidious. Sin is insidious. You remember how it was described here uh, in verse 7, it says sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. That's, uh, it's, it's like it's insidious and and it's the reality. It, 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 if we're living in reality that we know that, that sin is crouching at the door every day and its desire is for us to, to overcome us. Sin is insidious. Um, and just as kind of an aside, I think, It it, it made me think about child raising. Um, And how important it is how we raise our children. Just kind of going back to Cain and Abel. You know, one of the things that is talked about, and it's important, is that we encourage our kids, we build up our kids, but how we do that is really important. Um... That when we're building up our kids and we're encouraging them, letting them know how special we are, we're doing it in a way that creates within them a realization of how special they are because of how God made them. Not that they're just special in and of themselves without God. It's because of who we are. Created in the image of God, we're God's creations. That's what makes us special. And it's such a protection against what Cain experienced and what... You know, we can raise kids who think they're, you know, someone that all the world should worship. They're so special. But what have we done? We've created a bunch of proud little kids that don't see their need of God. <laughs> and they're going to become like Cain's. Sin is insidious and. And so raising our kids and and, and living our lives in a way that creates an attitude of gratitude rather than an attitude of pride uh, within those that we raise. The second is the enemy, the devil, is vicious. Um, Like like I said as we were going through this, it, 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 it almost seems extreme That Cain would kill his brother just because God didn't accept his offering. It's like, just, it seems like pretty extreme, you know? Like, you reject me, I'm gonna go out and kill somebody, you know? But I think it shows that behind Cain's pride was that enemy, the serpent, who in Genesis 3, tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God, act in independence of God. And it's that same enemy here who is nudging Cain to kill his brother. And what's the point? To prevent the coming of the seed. And it's, it's the beginning of the battle that we see all throughout Scripture We'll see it in Genesis chapter 6. We see, it in, we see it in the Tower of Babel. We see it all the way through this battle like Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 where he says our battle isn't against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. And, and the beginning of it we see here and how vicious the enemy is to keep the seed from coming knowing that when the seed comes it will crush him. The third thing is, beware of putting our hope in false hopes. The answer isn't someone or something. The answer is Jesus. Now, I know that sounds like maybe, maybe really trite, but it's true. In, in Luke, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save, deliver, set free, heal, restore, bring hope to that which was lost at the fall. That's where hope is. And and the only one who can bring hope, who can restore what was lost at the fall, restore what the, the devil and sin eats away at. The only one who can restore and bring us life is the one promised in John 10:10 10, 10, where it says, The devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he does that through false hopes. But it says Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. So beware of putting our hope in false hopes. So the last thing I think we learn really clearly is there's only one way to, to truly experience real hope and that's in the promised seed. <laughs> Jesus he came he came and he came and he died and he paid the penalty of sin and he provides the means to really live and really experience hope as we walk in relationship with him that's where hope is it's in him it's it's walking in relationship with him for some of us here I think We've probably experienced years of going from one disappointment to another. Maybe somebody this morning, it's like your life has just been going from one disappointment to another, one misplaced hope to another, trying this fix, that answer. I think what Genesis 4 encourages us to is to pursue real hope. Jesus said... Come to me, all you who are weary and beat up by life and all of its false offers of hope, and I will give you rest. Hope. Um, as I was thinking about this, and I realized that the problem with, with what I've just shared is that Jesus isn't a quick fix. Right? And and that's, that's what we're looking for most of the time. We just want something now to make us feel better. We want something now to make us happy. Jesus isn't a quick fix. I mean, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Wait on the Lord. But remember this. God is faithful He always keeps his promises He has provided everything That we need For life And hope And it's in Jesus So instead of another quick fix Instead of another detour From really experiencing hope I encourage it Take time To get to know Jesus Make that your priority. When, you hit, when, you, when, when that, that comes before you and it's like, ah, slow down and say, just be still. And put your eyes back on Jesus, getting to know him and who you are in him and what he's accomplished for you and everything that we are in him. And hope. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to think clearly uh, to think live in reality to see things the way that they are Father not to be detoured or distracted by false hopes but to fix our eyes clearly on Jesus and to really make the goal of our lives, getting to know him and understanding who he is as our hope and our life and our peace and our joy. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, the one in whom is our hope. Amen.